Hello, hello everyone. Welcome back for another week of the Max Potential Habits show. Today we have on an incredible guest. I found him on LinkedIn and we started a conversation. What caught my attention was his headline. And I noticed that he is trained by John Maxwell, who I've read lots of books by and love his work. So I thought, oh, hey, we've got to connect. And as I read through his bio, I saw all kinds of, you know, trigger words that I was like, yes, 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 yes. We need to have him on the show to talk about his areas of expertise. And pre-show, we got to have a really powerful conversation about emotional intelligence in the times that we're having right now during COVID, challenging relationships, stress, all the things that are going on in the world where emotional intelligence is actually key to being able to navigate the terrain. <laughs> so thanks for coming on the show, Ronnie Cunningham. It's so great to have you here. My pleasure. Awesome. So just a little background of Ronnie. He is a life transformation coach and he focuses on emotional intelligence, empathy, relationships, and tough conversations during tough times. He has over 48 years of experience of diverse, uh, diverse experience throughout his career. He's worked in the civil services arena. I don't know if I said that right. Working in civil service academia private industry, nonprofit sector, and faith-based community. And today he is, one of his greatest passions is working with young adults. And so we're gonna have all kinds of really great conversations about what he's done, where he's been, tips for you, especially in the emotional intelligence area. So let's get started. I like to always, well, I don't always ask this, but lately I've been asking, I'm curious if you could come up with a favorite quote that you feel like has aligned your life in powerful ways. There's over the years, there's been so many, but one that's really sticking with me is one by a mentor of mine, Dr. Paul Sheely. And he says, the true purpose of education is to liberate the personal genius within. Ooh. And I just love that piece because it changes the perspective on how we look at those we share our wisdom with. Ooh, I like that a lot. The personal genius within. Liberate the personal genius within. Yes. That's great. Oh, that's so powerful because I think a lot of us walk through life thinking that other people are special and other people have certain gifts, but somehow we're missing that. And I think, I believe that every single one of us has a, a, man, a, a genius living inside. That's it, it's it's something that I wish academia would adopt because if they did, we look at students differently. We don't try to label them as what they are, what they are. It becomes our responsibility to pull that personal genius outside of them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the word um, ajuco is a Latin word that means to draw out from within. Yes. And that's exactly what that is, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really powerful. Um, uh, here's a total tangent, but not really because you're an educator and have been in academia for so long. What do you see? What kind of system would you create to help draw out the genius, the personal genius within? One that's more focused on teaching how to learn rather than what to learn. Mm. Put it simply, I think that we that if we teach people how to learn, they can they have the ability to learn anything they want to learn. There's we're in an area where, you know, the technology is so far advanced over where it was even 20 years ago that let a person learn and grow in the area of their strengths rather than where 
their parents or where teachers or where other people think that they should program. We don't, I, I have success because I ask students or youth, how can I help you? Instead of trying to tell them what I think they need to learn. Yeah. Yeah, it's really values driven instead of curriculum driven. Um, when my kids were little, I, my ex-husband and I actually homeschooled and we did unschooling. So it was based on letting them lead the way of what they wanted to learn instead of forcing, you know, the, oh, in first grade, you're supposed to learn this. And then second grade, you're supposed to learn this. And it was pretty incredible. Um, I think it's that idea that no matter whatever it is that you're inspired to do, you will figure out the whatever, you know, reading, math, whatever it is that you need to know, you'll end up learning it yourself because you're inspired to learn that instead of forcing someone and then they get resistant to it and they lose their creativity. Well, it's, it's like putting the brakes on. If you have mm -hmm. a person, you're trying to force a person down a certain path that they don't want to go in, they're going to be resistant. Yeah. You know, a wise mentor of myself told me that it's, it, people are always, people like to be led, not pushed. Yeah. If we lead them along and lead them in an area that they have interest on. You're going to get better results all the time, I believe. Mm, that's great. I love that. It's, it's the difference between motivation and inspiration, right? Like where the motivation is, is pushing people <laughs> and forcing and inspiration is that leader within that wants to come out and do what you're inspired to do and take spontaneous action. Yeah. I think we'd get much better results if, if academia embraced that and the quote that I shared with you earlier, I think it yeah. would change the whole paradigm that we operate under. Absolutely. Okay. Tell us a little bit of your backstory because I know you said that you have experienced a lot of challenging times. What led you where you are today in terms of being so inspired to help youth and to make a difference in the world in the ways that you do? Well, looking back on a number of things, but uh, looking back, I... Between kindergarten and 12th grade, I went to 13 different schools. My parents wow. divorced when I was five years old, and I was at a very unstable childhood. And I get, the reason I moved around so much because I got in a lot of trouble. I was tagged as Bad Little Ronnie. And I, I, I lived up to that name. <laughs> Everywhere I went, I got in trouble. I would be in a number of fights. And uh, my father told me one day, you better not have another fight. Well, I had to figure out a, another way to go into a school and not getting in fights. And wherever I went, the girls would give me attention a little bit. And even at a young age, and the guys didn't like that. So they'd want to fight. So that's how I got into so many fights. Well, after my father gave me that ultimatum, I had to figure out another way to handle things. So I started acting crazy. I found out that people don't mess with you if they think you're not wrapped too tight. They leave you alone. And it worked, but it got me in a lot of trouble, <laughs> a lot of trouble. So anyway, after, uh, at 15, I left my father's house and uh, last, uh, what, 50 years, 51 years, I've been pretty much on my own and uh, had a number of incidents, a number of uh, trying challenges, a number of challenges over my lifetime. Uh, one of the one that turned me to the youth was in 2006, I lost a 23 year old son, Ryan, to an auto accident. And uh, I, one of my mentors had shared with me that I've got to find, we've got to learn, about a month before I lost Ryan, he shared with me, we've got to find ways of finding good in a bad experience. So I really had to pray on that. How am I going to find good out of losing a son? Well. I prayed on it for a while. What came to me is you don't have to worry about Ryan. Ryan's okay. 
but you could be a blessing for youth around the world. And I'm like, okay, that, those are some pretty broad steps on it. But I started researching, looking at the numbers, and I was astounded to find their population. They're about 70, the millennials and Gen Zs are about 70% of the world's population. That's about 4.5 billion. Mm -hmm. And it's a huge task. And there are, we, we say there are a future, but we really don't seem to put our money where our mouth is. And that's the biggest challenge. And it's one that it's, you know, I believe we, it's, communities have to be brought together. One of my backgrounds, I spent some time with the city of Los Angeles in emergency management. And during that, I realized that it's the communities. It's not the states or federal government that have to rebuild things after a catastrophic event. It's the communities. So my focus is one of the challenges that I'm going to be doing is bringing communities together. The family and the community units need to be restored and you have strong community, strong families, strong communities, then you have strong states and a stronger nation. We've got to find a, a more effective way of, of working together with one another. We've got to find ways of collaborating. And I believe it all starts with families and communities. Mm. Well, you're just out of curiosity. What does emergency management mean? Say, will you say more there? Well, the after, after we had some success, and I mentioned my, my, my journey with John Maxwell, uh, at a low point in my life, a marriage had fell apart. I come off of 33 years, 31 years, excuse me, of drug and alcohol use. Uh, I was at a, a low point in my life. I didn't know how, I didn't have any coping skills, and I stopped drinking in 2000. And I got exposed to John Maxwell. Well, his 21 irrefutable laws of leadership ended up helping me put my life back together. The program that I was working on in the city of Los Angeles was called the Systematic Code Enforcement Program. And I was directly involved in, in a program that ended up winning a Harvard's Innovations in Government Award. That program, we impacted the, improved the living conditions of two and a half million renters in the city of Los Angeles and caused over $2 billion of reinvestment in the city's housing rental stock. Well, all of a sudden, I start feeling a little bit better about myself. I wasn't the beat down person, you know. So I started developing, and after I retired, uh, I joined the John Maxwell team. But what I, what I had done in the years before that, the 13 years from 2000 to 2013, John's material had such an impact on me that I started buying his stuff and teaching it for free. And I love, the, I love quotes. So Zig Ziglar says that, you know, a lot of people are afraid to train their employees because they train them and they leave. So Zig uh -huh. says, how about if you don't train them and they stay? Well, I was one of the supervisors that after we won the Harvard Award, I got promoted to principal inspector. And after we won that award, well, I started taking time to develop my staff. And guess what? They started promoting. They started going to Water and Power, to the L.A. Police Department, to DWP, I mean, excuse me, to the police department, to the library, to public works, community development. But every time I lost an employee, I had a line of people ready to fill that vacancy because they knew that I poured into people. Mm. And I just kind of developed some of the training, some of the things that John did. And I said, this works. So when it comes time to retire, I said, wow, I can do this and get paid for it. It's kind of like a no brainer. Yeah. And yeah. For and then later that led me to a journey where I got into emotional intelligence and that changed my directory, my trajectory a little bit more. 
Nice. I love this. I was, you know, what I was thinking is you released, you unleashed your personal genius within <laughs> and that you're really training leaders out of leaders. And that's such a powerful skill set and desire because you're right. Some people don't want to train people to be leaders because then they know exactly, oh, you'll leave. But what if you just had a constant flow of that? And what an incredible, really amazing story. Uh, yeah, it says a lot about your heart. Well, one of the things, uh, Dr. A, that I did is I shared with the group of inspectors that I had to train. I said, my goal is to train you, and I want all of you to do much better than me. And I said, if by chance you all rise and create a vacuum, you'll pull me up with you. And yeah. It, it works. That's great. I mean, it's such a win-win mentality, right? Instead of divisiveness and separation and keeping people down so that you stay on top, it's like, oh, let's create a whole bunch of win-wins together. And, and where we are with our youth, there's not enough of us coaches or adults to be able to reach them. Yeah. So we, we have to have a model that we train leaders to help them develop other leaders because you know, and that's why I like working with the, the millennials because they're in a position to reach up and down. They can pull somebody up as they're being mentored to also. And I believe that that's where we, that's a model that we need to uh, implement on a more wide scale than we do now. Yeah. Yeah. Before, before we get into emotional intelligence and I want to hear your take on what that means, I'm curious for you. I'm, I mean, I would imagine that after 31 years of substance use, quitting is challenging um I would would you be willing to share a little bit how you did that what happened for you there well I, I became a person at the same time I became a person of faith and uh I I had been my own god for 45 years uh I thought I had it all going and you know I had a I had a failed relationship where a wife had left me and I was one of those that thought no woman in the world could possibly leave me not me Maybe anybody else, but not me. <laughs> so I was broken. So what, when I said my coping, I learned how to cope all over. The drugs, alcohol, these were how I coped. And now I had, was at a point where I had promised that if, you know, I prayed and promised that if I stopped drinking and smoking and doing the things that I did, that I would never touch it again. And I'm happy to say I've got 20 years of sobriety, but it wasn't an easy thing. I had to really learn how to cope. I, I had feelings and emotions that I had never knew about, that I had been medicating all these years. I'm riding yeah. down the street and some little drop started rolling down my cheeks and I almost, tears me? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I couldn't believe it, but it's reality. And one of the things is that too many of us don't want to talk about, when I work with the youth today, I share the things that I'm most embarrassed about not my successes, I share the things that I'm ashamed of. And that transparency helps me bond with them in a way that, you know, I'm not trying to act like I got it all together. I'm, I'm still a work in progress. It's gonna take me time. I'm working daily on it, but this is part of the thing. The two men, they see too much hypocrisy everywhere. Because yeah. Because like they've got it all together. And the reality is we're all a mess. We're, you know, I ask people, how many of you are from dysfunctional families? When everybody should be raising their hands, one or two may say, well, we got some issues. No, we all have issues. That's the reality. Yeah, yeah. Reality. So true. And it's, and you're so right. It's such a gift, especially with younger people to open the door for them to share those dark, scary, shameful places, because it just, it's such a toxic problem when it, you got to hold on to that and you can't share it with anyone because you don't see any models sharing 
their messiness with you. You know, so many people are putting on masks and performances that it's hard to know what's real. And you know, one thing that really, really spoke out to me is, like I said, my pastor had introduced me to John and he took me through his 21 irrefutable laws of leadership. But one day I was in there and I gave a testimony and I talked about my failed marriage, about me losing a fortune, about my drug and alcohol use. And I got out afterwards, I mean, I just said, I told him at one point, I would have been, my pride would have kept me from sharing that in front of a packed church. But I don't, I said, I don't care what any of you think about me. It's what my creator thinks about me. Well, after that, I got out to the vestibule area and a girl came to me, 12 years old. And she just grabbed me and started hugging me and said, thank you, thank you, Mr. Cunningham, thank you. And I'm looking at the ceiling like, what in the world did I say that can cause this? And she's crying like crazy and squeezing me tighter and tighter. I'm glad she was only 12 because she might've taken all the air out of me. So I says, what is it? And I asked her, what is it? You know. And she looked at me and she said, there's hope. Mm -hmm. She says, my daddy's an alcoholic. And if you could be healed, he could be healed. I started crying after that. <laughs> and wow. I had to ask myself, would I be willing to embarrass myself in front of one million people just to have one young child react like she did? Of course. Because what other pe people think about us isn't important. But what yeah. that child did, giving her some hope. Yeah. In the world. So that's when I realized the value of true transparency. Yeah. That's one of the, that was another one of those uh, defining moments in my life, in my journey. I love it. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, my eyes filled up with tears and you're so right. It's those moments when you don't even know that you're, I mean, of course you're there doing this, whatever, you know, we're kind of, I'm sure you had like a package speech a little bit, but it's like, you don't know who you're going to affect and how and why. Right. And everybody needs to hear those human stories of struggle and messiness because we are all that way. I think it's so fascinating how we can have the perception that no one else is struggling. And then one of the greatest gifts, like one of the things I love most about group coaching is that people realize like, Oh, it's not just me that's struggling with this. You know, it's like, Oh, they struggle with it. They struggle with it. They struggle with it. And then it releases that feeling of I'm alone and isolated. And I think it's so powerful. So but thank you. I love that. And that hope piece, right? If we are living in a place of, of a lack of hope, it makes everything seem pretty grim, but there is so much hope. I think that's how I see the world. We're in the same boat there. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. So let's, let's talk emotional intelligence. What does emotional intelligence mean to you first? Let's come up with a, your definition of what that means. Emotional intelligence is, is something that can't be described easily because it affects everything we do, how we think, how we interact with people, how we handle adversity, how we process information. It just affects everything. Our feelings and emotions are everything. We all have them, but most of us have had very little training in learning how to manage. As I mm -hmm. shared with you, me, I had no training. And yeah. I had insecurities when I was 14 years old and somebody handed me a joint or a bottle of wine or beer. That was how I dealt with my emotions, the things that I wasn't happy about in my life. I tried yeah. that. You know, did you ever, some people ask me if I ever wondered about my parents and ever felt bad about how I moved, why I moved around so much. No, because they weren't the problem. I was the problem. And learning how to manage my feelings and emotions was something that didn't come until many, many decades later. 
Yeah. Yeah. When you were sharing your story of, of substance use, um, I was thinking that it's so tied to emotional intelligence, right? Like most of us will find ways to escape the pain because we don't know how to cope with what's painful. And as you know, animals, I talk a lot about how we live by the pleasure pain principle and we definitely try our hardest to avoid pain and seek pleasure. So if we don't have the skills to deal with the pain that we're faced with, we're going to do the, the easiest, most quick option to have that instant gratification, which, you know, like when you're using substances, it's like, oh yeah, I can feel really good in this moment. It might not help you tomorrow, but it helps right this minute <laughs> and it's easier. We, we self-medicate. Self-medicate yeah. doesn't just mean drugs and alcohol. It could be sex. It could be video games. It could be whatever to, is escape to take us out of it. Yeah. It. Yeah. And we get obsessed and we overdo it and we are overbalanced. But the thing is, we're, as you mentioned, it's only a temporary fix. Yeah. The problem doesn't go away. You still got it. You still going to keep it. It just becomes perpetual. Yeah. Yeah, so, so share with listeners, I'd, I'd love to hear your take on, I know we've talked about how it'd be amazing to have a school system that teaches some of these, uh, teaches students how to have emotional intelligence, intelligence and those life skills that are really essential for learning to for self-love, how to cope, um, how to communicate. So what are some of the key foundational emotional intelligence skills that you would, could share with the audience it all starts with self-awareness now there's two models of emotional intelligence now one it's kind of emotional intelligence is deemed for adults which is what daniel goldman came out with around 1995 but what's happening and what i'm really inspired by is an organization called castle the collaborative academic for social and emotional learning and what they're they're based out of chicago and they're doing some amazing work with teaching it to teaching these skills to the youth and one of the things that differ from emotional intelligence versus CASO is they have a component in there called responsible decision-making. Mm -hmm. Normal components of emotional intelligence are self-awareness, self-management, then empathy and social awareness, and then relationship responsibility, which is another, relationships are another area that we're very, given very little training in, and all, everything we do involves other people and relationships. Yeah. Yeah. Many of us have had many failed relationships because we didn't know how to nurture them. We didn't know how to understand. We, we didn't have the self-awareness. We're looking for happiness through someone else. There's a lot of, we, we, we can just go on and on on all these pieces because they're realities. And yeah. these, why emotional intelligence is so important, I believe, I don't have the empirical data, but I believe in time, we'll find that divorce rates will go down. We'll find suicide rates will go down. We'll find drug and alcohol abuse will go down through the widespread training and application of the emotional intelligence. Yeah, I was thinking even, you know, you could extend that to pretty much every area of life or business, right? I mean, there's a lot of cool research now to show that the greatest leaders of companies are have really high EQ. And, and it's based on them being able to tap into that empathy piece, get to know, to create win-win relationships instead of having this, you know, domination, subordination model of hierarchy in a company. So it's every area. I can't think of an area that emotional intelligence wouldn't benefit. And it's, it's one of those areas. My generation, when I was coming up, all of the focus and subsequent generations like yours, probably decades or a couple of generations after mine, 
what was happening is all the focus was going on IQ. Yeah. Your intellectual quotient. And all of us know people that have, that are brilliant, absolutely brilliant, but they may have the personality of this ink pen. They can't relate to people. And what we find out, what we found out about emotional intelligence is that we don't have to know everything. If we have the ability to network and bring people to the table that have things that we don't have, we have much greater chances for success than having a high IQ. A lot of research has shown that 80% of our success in life is, is in direct proportion to the level of our emotional intelligence. It's valuable. Yeah. Valuable. Yeah. And we have the technology now. We have the, the disc, the Myers-Briggs, all these, all these uh, tools to help us gain the situational, or the, excuse me, the uh, self-awareness that we lack. And if you don't have the self-awareness, if you don't know where your strengths are, where your weaknesses are, you're, you're just kind of there. If you have emotions that you don't know how to manage them, you're not in a good place. So the more you, once you understand what, you know, that self-awareness, then you can begin to start managing those, those, those feelings and emotions. Yeah, will you share sort of some really practical action steps people can take to develop their self-awareness? Well, just, just by learning what, the, what, the, what they really are about by going introspective. We're in a society where it's easy to look and blame other people for the reasons why they are, but really taking the journey in. In my recovery and my going through it, I had to take a look at myself. I had to define what I was, who I was, and I had to be truthful with myself. When sometimes when you take that journey within, there's some ugliness in there that you may not like, but you gotta deal with it. Yeah. And you know, we start, we talk about relationships. After I had failed, I had to start Okay, I want a woman that's this, I want my next wife, I want this, that. And then I had to ask my question, am I the type of person that's going to attract that type of woman? Yeah. I had a lot of work to do here. <laughs> <Whereas> <laughs> many times we want to try to look at it where I want to find somebody. And that's, we're not, we're not realistic. So yeah. being real with yourself, asking yourself questions, and focusing on ourselves rather than others. Yeah, I, I always love this saying, you need to become who you want to be with. You know, it's like, it's funny. And, and I, I think it relates to that idea of like, if, if we're looking outside for someone to fix us, we're going to look outside for someone who's, you know, oh, I want to attract this person who's amazing, brilliant, sexy, smart, rich. But if we're not that, we're looking for them to try to make us that instead of just being who we are and developing yourself. So it's, it's so powerful. I mean, I'm thinking for self-awareness, what were some of the things you did? I mean, for me, I've done meditation, journaling, tons of personal growth and development work, like reading books and podcasts and workshops and changing my friend groups. And I mean, I have like, the sky's the limit to change from where I was to where I am today. And I think that, I, you know, I tell people the number one habit is personal growth and development, which to me is self-awareness. Yes. You know, it's, it's personal empowerment. It's unleashing, unleashing the genius within. It's like all those things where the gold comes from is you creating the most powerful relationship you can with yourself, which is to me, emotional intelligence. It's, it's raising your EQ. And you know, I, I don't, it's funny because the IQ thing, I, I agree with you. We used to have so much focus on IQ and now it's like, you know, it's a, first of all, it's how do you measure IQ really? And there's a lot of skewed perspectives about what that test is anyway. But, you know, I, I think about the greatest 
people in the world who are the most successful and have the largest impact is because they make other people feel empowered. Absolutely. Which is an EQ thing. Yes. And, and, and it's, a, it's a soft skill. It's something that we all need and that we all have to be aware of. And, and uh, you know, I, I love the debate going on about the STEM versus the soft skills, but as we move forward, the jobs that many of us knew in the past aren't going to be there. We got to, we got to do, we got to create new things and the emotions, working with others, the networking, all of these are components to help people grow. And, you know, as you're, as you grow personally, your personal development, you start finding out others. And we mentioned the empathy component. You can start understanding other people and other people will help you understand yourself. So there's a, there's an interdependency that exists that we, we don't take advantage of. And, yeah. One other thing that you mentioned, Doctor, you mentioned the change word. Too many of us are afraid to change. And I like John's quote is that there's no growth in the comfort zone and no comfort in the growth zone. Uh, that's a good one. Get out of our comfort zone. Yes. There, it's like the comfort zone is a curse. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Right? Yes, it is. And it, it limits us because we're, we're, we're locked in. And we don't go beyond. And one of my things is after spending 60 years in California retiring, I decided to move to Georgia where my mother, where all my brothers and sisters were. Where I had brought my mother out here to live with them the last few years of her life. And it was out here that I met my current wife, who happens to live in Colorado. So if I had never left my comfort zone of Southern California, I would have never come out here and found her. We, yeah. We don't know what's outside of that comfort zone until we step beyond it. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, what do you recommend for people to step out of their comfort zone a little bit? Well, like you said, the, you mentioned the personal development. That is one of the things. Uh, I'm committed to become a lifelong learner. During the years that I had my drug and alcohol use, I was trying to get rid of the brain cells that I had. Well, now it's all about trying to. <laughs> Make <laughs> and personal development is the key and it's a lifelong process uh somebody once shared with me something and this i'm i'm a person who grew up in the, in the 60s so I, i'll date myself by the terminology but they said if you're too hip to listen and too hip to learn two hips make an ass <laughs> and, and, and there's some truth to that that's I mean, a good one you have to always be willing to learn too many adults they want to do the thinking for their, their children. You know, too many kids tell me that their parents think they know it all. They always tell them when I was 16, hey, 16 today isn't like it was when I was 16 or when you 16, it's a whole different ball game. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think, you know, what you're talking about is we don't help our children cultivate emotional intelligence and empathy when we don't let them critically think for themselves. Absolutely. You know, it's like part of that process is learning, bumping up against things, stepping out of your comfort zone, making mistakes, failing, falling, getting up, figuring it out, talking about it. You know, it's like there's there's a lot of over, I think a lot of overprotection sometimes of kids because we're afraid of, of what could happen. But really, then there's this stifling that goes on and not giving them the tools for connection to understand the journey of growth. You know, it's it's. Go for it. You want to say something? I want to hear what you have to say. Part of the, part of the problem is, and this is something that I've my research and my observations, it's okay for us to want our children to be better and do better than we did. But where we've gone wrong is we want to take the component of adversity out of their life. 
And they have to learn from mistakes. They have to learn that it's okay to fail. That doesn't define you. And when you remove the adversity, it's like I use the, uh, use the thing, what happens if we try to help a butterfly out of a cocoon? Mm. It needs that struggle to become strong enough to live. We're no different. Yeah. And, 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 and if, if we're not allowing our kids to think, if we're not, and one of the things that I, I really, another connecting piece when I asked the youth, I asked them, what do they think about something? Some of them almost have to grab their chair. You care what I think? They tell me that my parents don't care. All they want to do is tell me what to do and how I should think. And, and coming back to emotional intelligence, one of the things that we've got to understand is everybody has their own feelings and emotions. And one of the worst things, whether it's a parent, whether it's a spouse or a friend, one of the worst things we can do is try to tell somebody how they should feel or how they should think. They think and feel because that's how they think and feel. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. But yeah. we want to try to t tell, well, you should think this way or you should think that way. No, that's, that's wrong. And we've created a dependency to the level that people don't develop critical thinking skills because others are thinking for them. Yeah, you know, you pointed out something I think that's really powerful as well as holding a space to have let someone else share themselves with you. And I think if you if you treat kids like they need to be super protected and you're you know you're not letting them flourish from from cocoon to butterfly because you think that you can't let them fall down. I mean that'd be like when they start walking, they fall down and you you stop it. You know, oh you can't, I don't want you to ever try to walk because you might fall down and hurt your knee. That's not gonna work. But then there's this place where I don't think that there's enough. Uh, I, I'll, I'll use a quote. I love, I love that you love quotes too. Um, Brene Brown says, people are hard to hate. People are hard to hate close up, move in. You know, so it's this idea of like, let's get to know each other. Let's care more about each other. Let's ask the questions. I had a really amazing opportunity to interview um, gang members for my dissertation research. They're incarcerated men, gang members, and, you know, it's like I interviewed a whole bunch of white supremacists and I interviewed like the skies alone people that murdered people, like really intense stuff. And, you know, sitting in the room with them and, sh and asking them questions. I mean, they're crying and they're like, you're the only person that's ever asked me in my life how I feel or what happened to me or, you know, it was just like, and then they'd share things with me and say, you're the only person I've ever told this to. And it was just, you know, some of these guys are 50 years old, you know, and it's just like, oh. You know, like no one cared about what they thought or what they felt or what they experienced. And of course the outcome is going to be, you know, a criminal lifestyle because that was their place to connect and that's what they knew. And so I think about that a lot, you know, how powerful it is just to have a connected conversation with somebody, you know, like we're all longing for that. And that's where the empathy piece comes in. If I want to understand you, it's not about me telling you about my accomplishments or my family or my that. I want to understand you. How do yeah. you, why do you think, why do you feel this way? Why do you think that way? Can you share something? Do you mind tell? I mean, being, being genuinely concerned with what the person, who the person is, where they are, understand why they're where they are. And yeah. it takes effort, but it'll bring you that moment of truth like you said nobody's ever asked me that before wait a minute you're 50 years old and because yeah. we haven't been and, and I, this underscores that we're academia another area that I think academia has failed by not giving us these soft skills is 
we're, we, every, all the connections, majority of the connections out there are very superficial. We, we ask a person, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. No, how are you really doing? I can tell by the way you're acting, you're not in a good place. You may say you're fine, but you're, 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 emit, you're emoting a lot different than you being fine. Yeah. You might, would you like to share it with me? And not in a way where you're prying into them, that you letting a person know that you care about them. Yeah. The difference in the world. And, what? And, oh, go for it. No, it's <laughs> a shame because a lot of our youth don't feel the connection from those who love them the most, their parents. And that's why the teen suicide rates are really going up. They feel yeah. disconnected. Well, and it, we're so busy, right? And, and what you're saying, what it really is, is it takes that pivotal shift to presence and self-awareness because if you're so busy with your day doing your thing and when you ask someone how they're doing and they respond and you're not really paying attention because you're not present because you're in your mind thinking about all the to-do list you're not going to notice that the person doesn't feel good and we do that with our kids and we do it with people we run into at the store and we do it with you know people we work with and to me that powerful piece of just being present which is one of the hardest things there is to do is is one of the greatest gifts that you can give the world, I think. You, you know, there's a short story that really checked me and how I found myself because I'm really focused, driven, a personality. When I work with the Los Angeles Housing Department, one of my, I went into clerical units, to the clerical unit and I went over there and one of my inspectors was over at the copy machine. And I asked him, what are you doing this weekend? His name was Ernesto. And he got excited, he had a great weekend. As soon as I grabbed my piece off the coffee, I was gone. Now, Monica, our senior clerk typist, came over and she says, that was wrong what you did to Ernesto. I said, what are you talking about? She says, you asked him what he was doing this weekend and he was really ready to tell you, excited, and then you just took off. And I said, I sure did, didn't I? So I had to go back over there and ask him. I pulled up a chair and sat down. I said, I apologize for that. I got so many things on my mind. Like you said, we're busy. That's no excuse. Imagine how that made the person feel if I had a chance to fix that only because she pointed it out to me. Yeah, I good for her. I probably do this quite often. I know. Yeah, I yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the people that I work with and, and just even I think about it from a parenting perspective often because I'm a parent, but it's like also this space of like in parenting, I remember being told, you know, what does it, what do, how do kids feel loved? time. They spending time with them, quality time, looking into their eyes, asking about their day, seeing what they're doing, you know, so that was always such an important thing to me. And art because of the busy society that we live in these days, time is one of the, the most lucrative, profitable things that we can offer to somebody. <laughs> and so, you know, it's like really showing up in that powerful way. And the truth is it, it falls under to me, the law of giving and receiving, you know, where you go like, the more you give, the more you get. So if you're stuck in a place, you know, for everyone listening, if you're stuck in a place feeling like your life is not flowing the way you want it to, start giving. Start giving of yourself. Give of your time. Be empathetic. Ask how someone else is doing. Stop hyper-focusing on yourself and give something and see what shifts because it's such a powerful gift that you can give. Absolutely. And, and another, you bring to mind another quote that uh, a mentor shared with me, genuine help is always mutual. Mm. and a lot of us we don't want to help unless we feel that we're going to be reciprocated in some way 
But when you give without expecting any return at all, and this could be to anybody, there's a mutual benefit that comes back to you some kind of way. I truly believe that. Yeah. So awesome. Oh, such a juicy conversation. I love this. Thank you so much. I never know. I can't say I never know, but usually I don't know what course the conversation is going to take. And it's usually a winding one, but it always is so fulfilling. Like I leave these interviews just like, ah, yes, because I get to connect with you. And I, you know, I always hope my, my people that I'm talking to get to feel that way too. And then I know listeners are just, it's that place of relaxation where you get to hear other people's thoughts and feelings and perspectives and walk away inspired. And, you know, that's something that's really important to me. So thank you for sharing your thoughts and feelings. Thank you for having me. I've, I've enjoyed this. And, yeah. and you know, one of the things that I've always wanted to do, and this is maybe stemming back from my drinking days or whatever, I've always wanted to control the situation. Yeah. We have so little control. Just let it flow. Just see. Yes. What, <laughs> let it go. It's so true. I've gotten, that's one thing I've really worked on in the last year is surrender, letting go, letting go of control, surrendering, letting universe provide. And it's been so much more fun. <laughs> the reality is we have so much less control than we think we do anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I know it's, it's such a facade, right? I think we constantly, it's the comfort zone thing. It's like, Oh, if I stay in control and I make a plan and I force it to happen or try to force it to happen, I feel comfortable and safe. Whereas yes. when we say, I'm just going to let go and surrender, it's, it's a little, it feels, it feels a little scary, but it's, it, it, there is no such thing as control really. That's right. So yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. So share with us, what are the top three max potential habits that you believe got you where you are today? Uh, well, being a person of faith, this last 20 years is when I really came to life, I would say. So faith, intentionality, and determination are the key things that, that are growing, that, that, are, that are driving me in my personal growth. Nice. Right? And, and that's for 45 years, that wasn't the case. Uh, I was not a person of faith. I was pretty spontaneous. Now I'm, you know, I'm very intentional and I'm realizing that I'm in the fourth quarter now. It's not like I'm in the half now or, you know, halftime, as Bob Uper would say. I'm in the fourth quarter, so I've got to, instead of counting the days, i got to make my days count. Love it. I love it. Yeah, you could be, you could be in the third quarter, right? <laughs> yeah. I'll take it if it's a gift. But okay. <laughs> I've got more of a sense of urgency. And again, yeah. I've got grandkids now. Yeah, a better future for them, and that's not going to have. A, they're not going to have that if I just rest on my laurels and my past success. I've got to contribute, do what I can to influence people to help make. Yeah, them. I mean, I think that's such a beautiful place to live, where you go, you live every day, where as if it's the fourth quarter, right? You just go like, I'm going to make a difference every day that I possibly can, and I'm going to. I mean, this is called max potential habits. I think of it as like. What do we want to do to reach our max potential in life? Not that I think you ever get all the way there, but I think as when you're striving for that and you're working to be the best person that you can possibly be and taking that action every day, life gets so much more rich and rewarding. You know, it's like I, I'm using the gifts that I was given to share with the world and make an impact. And then I receive in return, right? So it's just this, lovely sharing and 
Yeah, yeah, it's, oh, I'm noticing. Losing, losing yeah. a son at 23 years old, uh, he was 23. Uh, I'm a cancer survivor. I mean, things, life has a way of helping you see things that you didn't see when you were youthful. And yeah. I lost a lot of loved ones that are, that are no longer here that have poured into me. And I realized, I mean, you, you started reflecting on, I didn't get here by myself. I had a lot of love. I've been fortunate enough to have a lot of love poured into me. And I've been fortunate enough to see uh, things that many people haven't seen. And, you know, a lot of the young guys that I grew up with, they're in the cemetery, they're in prison, or they're, they've lost their mind to drugs. Yeah. So I, I have a responsibility to do what I can to help prevent the next generation from having that same destiny. Yeah. Which is, I can't, can't save the world, but... Well, I would, I would so imagine that. I think that for most listeners, if they have kids, it, that's one of the, that would be one of the most challenging things to experience is losing a child. The most challenging, nothing comes close to it. Yeah. Yeah. I would would trade with him in a heartbeat if I could, but we don't get that choice. Yeah. Yeah. That's big. I mean, it's, it's impressive that you've Use that op- used that experience as an opportunity to grow and help other people. Because that definitely isn't the path that everyone would take in that with that happening. Well, I believe we're really here to help other people, but yeah. society doesn't teach that. They teach us that you're here for yourself, and it's but that's 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 not what we're here for. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, you know that because of the work you do. <laughs> yeah, yes, definitely. <laughs> Ah, so good to have you on. Okay, so share with us. I know that you're involved in all kinds of cool stuff. Will you share with listeners who want to connect with you the best places to find you? Yes. Uh, right now, uh, Growth by Design Pasadena is is one of my websites. But one of the things that uh, uh, another one that I, as far as my community, my work with the youth is RyansVillage.org. That site is being rearranged. There's a lot of information out there, but I'm going to offer some courses to help bring communities together. So that'll be one. Growth by Design, Pasadena.com. That's for personal development. Okay. Personal development, uh, emotional intelligence. But there are some others that I'm working on because one, one of the things that I've realized living in Georgia and Colorado, I still got roots in California. We're in a technology, just like what you're doing, that our reach is broader than it's ever been in any time in history. We're not limited to our own community. We could have a far reach all around the world. And I actually mentor people in different parts of the world. Some parts that I've never even been to. So cool. Yeah. (laughs) It is incredible, right? The global outreach that we get to have just by a podcast or like website or yeah, so amazing. Okay, wonderful. I will put both of those in the show notes. And of course you can find Ronnie on LinkedIn, which is where we found each other. So Ronnie Cunningham on LinkedIn. And I'll have all of these in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on today. I, I, I really, really enjoy getting to have these deep conversations with like-minded people who leave listeners feeling inspired and, and having those thoughts of like, wow, you've had such, you've had so many challenges in your history and here you are making a really beautiful impact in the world. So thank you for coming on to share. It's my pleasure. And if I could leave you with one of my quotes. Yes. We grow by intention or we shrink by default. Ooh, that's a mic dropper.
That's a good one. I like that. Thank you for sharing. I, you're, I'm going to come to you when I need some quotes. <laughs> I've tons of them over the years. <laughs> awesome. Me too. I love quotes. Like all-time favorite. <laughs> all right. Thanks for coming on the show today. And everyone, thank you for being here to listen. This show wouldn't be here if it weren't for you. So thank you for being here each and every week to support, to listen, to cheer to grow, to connect together. It is my favorite thing to create community around optimizing yourself, getting inspired, doing what it takes to fulfill your vision and making a difference in the world. So I hope that you all have an incredible week where you thrive and you feel alive and you get inspired to grow and not shrink. <laughs> I'll be back next week. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Max Potential Habits Podcast. If you're liking what you've heard, it would be so incredibly awesome if you would subscribe to the channel and leave a five-star rating and a written review. This helps me help more people while we grow our NFA community so we can rock it out together. For Max Potential Habits resources, go to nfacoaching.com where you can access all of my resources. There's free eBooks, PDF checklists, a journal template, a business mindset meditation kit, and so much more. Plus links to NFA Coaching on Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn, and Facebook. And if you're super serious about up-leveling, there's also a link to schedule a free consult to work with me in group or one-on-one -on -one coaching. Until next time, I hope you have a Max Potential Habits Day where you get inspired to do whatever it takes to transform into the most empowered version of yourself so you can lead a rich, thriving, kick-ass life and business.